Thanks for tuning in to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 72. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Christoph Laputka. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we dive into it, exploring what works, what doesn't, trying to transform the raw idea into literary gold. gold. There you go. (laughs) Christoph Laputka, creator of the Leviathan Chronicles, uh, former guest host here on the roundtable of one of our fabulous, I think it was episode 20, way back in the day. Uh, (laughs) Dude, it is wonderful to have you back. Thanks for, thanks for being my wingman on this episode, dude. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. This is great. Now you've, you've, you just moved to California, dude. I did. I did. I moved to San Francisco uh, after spending 43 years in uh, New York. And, what brought uh, you to that? What What made that happen? I, you know, I just got tired of being cold. It was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I uh, I met uh, I met our uh, our co-host tonight, Casey Whalens, and he showed me a, a better way of life out in California. And um, <laughs> I uh, no, I drove cross country uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, it just feels great to be in San Francisco. I've always liked the city, and uh, it just was uh, time to make a change. So I can uh, totally see you rocking the san francisco vibe it's just i can only imagine the transition from a new york state of mind to a san francisco state of mind it's going to take a little tick getting used to you know i decided it's a little bit like that line in risky business i think san francisco could use a guy like me so (laughs) (laughs) that's at least how i'm treating it all right, so friends, stay tuned to the San Francisco Chronicle and and watch for the cultural transformation that it, that that fine city undergoes over the next months and years as Christoph works his evil magic upon it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah look for property values to drop. <laughs> <laughs> property values to drop and, and a rise in audio drama and improv. Yes, Woo. yes. <laughs> Well, let's let's bring our guest host waiting in the wings back onto the show here. Dear friends, uh, returning from uh, a fabulous, outstanding, and certainly not 20 minutes with, uh, please welcome back to the big chair here at the roundtable, Master Casey Wayland. Uh, Casey, thank you for returning, and, and I am so looking forward to this brainstorming session that we have before us. Thanks for coming back, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm actually really looking forward to it. I haven't done any like group script doctoring sessions in a long time. This is gonna be exciting. This is this is the roundtable mojo, and uh, you're, it's gonna be a blast. We're gonna have some fun. Before we dive into that, though, uh, uh, you're you're coming off. Uh, we're alive. Just just sent up its its final episode last summer, uh, uh, and that has been a four season epic in your life and and certainly i I really honestly say without hyperbole uh uh, step set a bar for audio production for story uh uh, for drama for for that art form and and that's awesome what do you do after that (laughs) so casey (laughs) what's coming up in your world uh uh now that the four seasons of we're we're alive uh have have gone up and are being consumed in the world well, it's quite simple. Like you've made all those things. What and you really had fun. What are you gonna do? You're gonna make more. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Do tell, sir. Do tell. Uh, so right now, I'm in the middle of writing Tales of We're Alive, uh, the first volume. It may be the only volume. We're seeing how that goes for the first one here. 
Um, but it's like a, a standalone epic that's uh, kind of a side story that uh, accompanies We're Alive. Some of the, there are a couple cameo maybes from the other characters you might know, and then a lot of new ones. So it's it's really uh, fun, uh, kind of a self-contained little project, and uh, it's about 100 pages in now and going strong. What's your, what's your time frame for production and release? Do you have one yet? We don't. Um, I originally wanted to start production of it in January. Um, I wanted to get it written a lot sooner. But I really underestimated how long it was going to take based on like my production schedule with We're Alive. Like mm. We're Alive, I was able to—I was a machine with the scripts, just able to pump them out really, really quickly. This one is taking a lot longer. It's a lot more. It's—it's it's in an area that I'm a little more unfamiliar with, so I've had to do a lot more research. Um, and uh, it's been a lot of field work just even getting started, and now the ball is finally rolling. And also when you're writing new characters, it's you have to start from scratch, and sometimes it takes a little while to find who that person is, their arc, and what their voice is. You haven't had to do that for a few years, have you? No, not all at once. Uh, <laughs> a new character here and there is pretty easy. It's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm putting it around the voices and characters I'm comfortable with so as they, they can develop as I go, and it's not going to be a huge deal. When you have to have everybody set ahead of time that's when it gets a little little more cumbersome it's like starting the very first chapter all over again okay okay well we'll, we'll keep our ear to the ground for that because because we're alive fans uh, uh veterans and the new ones that that hopefully will come to the fold uh, uh as the word spreads the viral uh machine does its work uh we'll we'll all be looking forward to that what about other projects casey i i i know this is very consuming for you and and you've got the you've got the uh, the day job that that also is consuming your time are you are you at all interested in pursuing different stories different formats where's your where's your creative headspace there well i'm always working on trying to get us into other mediums as well for story-wise so constantly trying to move that forward um and i i'm actually developing other stories as i go um aside from we're alive i've been developing two other series as well so i have two other series that i've been continually building on um with the outlines for waiting for those uh whenever i get started with them um, so I'm just constantly, you know, doing one more kind of uh, project to throw on there. Um, but it's it's you know it's all going really well, and uh, I finally now that we're live has died, I'm able to take a little break. It's starting to come back up again, and uh, matter of fact, starting to do more appearances like coming up at South by Southwest. Uh, I'm uh, on the panel that's talking about audio dramas in the 21st century. So, yeah, just good stuff uh, all in the wings. Outstanding. South by Southwest. I'm just making a note. South by Southwest. Be there. It's going to be awesome. What about other conventions? Uh, South by Southwest, definitely. Uh, do, you, do you attend cons, uh, uh, or are you a guest at any others? Um, I Well, it's expensive to go, so mm, I really yeah. only go the ones that are like near California, like uh, WonderCon, Kamikaze, um, San Diego Comic-Con. Those are the three ones I kind of frequent more than others. Okay. Um, but then again, like I would not shy away from going to, to like the ones that are further out. Um, I was a guest speaker at ReadCon in Colorado this ah, last year. Yeah. Um, that was like, I gave an hour long seminar on, on storytelling, which was really fun. Um, so yeah, so it's, I'm, I'm constantly having new things come up. If people follow me on Twitter or Facebook at, at Wayland Prod, P-R-O-D, um, then, uh, yeah, I, I keep up to date on uh, everything that's going on. 
Outstanding. Friends, jot that down and I'll make sure that gets into the liner notes. In fact, I'll make sure all of that gets into the liner notes so people can keep their finger on the pulse of the KC Wayland uh, uh, beast as it lumbers forward. <laughs> Christoph, I know you've got stuff going on. Uh, as I recall, last I heard from, from the, the rumblings of the Leviathan Sphere, uh, the second season of Leviathan rolled out to great success. Yeah, we were really pleased. We split our second season up into two parts. Each season has about 25 episodes in it. We released the first 13, and we're finishing up productions on the uh, the last 13. It's been taking a whole lot longer than uh, than we wanted to. These things always uh, always do tend to drag out, but we have about eight of them finished, and we're working on uh, on the last four. Of course, the as as you as Casey can tell you, when you wind down um, you know a season or a series, <laughs> you want to make sure that uh, the last couple episodes are really blockbusters so they're they're taking a whole lot longer there's a there's a whole lot that happens as you tie up all the strings and try and create a really epic finish so they're uh, they're a little bit more laborious from the production standpoint but they're uh 50 they're, they're episodes getting done. wow yeah that's so, huge so we're uh we're, we're getting there we're getting there should be in a couple more months we'll have them we'll have them all released and are you, I remember with Leviathan Chronicles, the first season, you did some awesome crossover stuff. You engaged Mer Lafferty uh, uh, and other writers to, to uh, play in your world, creating kind of mm-hmm. a shared world framework there. Are you, are you going to be continuing that vein as well with season two? We have actually. Um, so in in the second part of the second season, that sounds a little confusing, but <laughs> in, um, we ended with episode thirty eight, and actually episodes thirty nine and forty were originally written by Mer Lafferty. Um, you know what I. I, I really enjoy having other writers come in and collaborate. I think it always um, kind of expands the universe and a little bit of cross-fertilization usually ends up with a richer product in the end. So um, Murr has been terrific. Uh, she's actually one of the voices in Leviathan. She plays one of the immortals named Lorelai in uh, in Leviathan City. Very cool. Um, so, she's, so she's involved. And um, we've been trying to get as many kind of cameos and, and nods to people as uh, as much as we can. Um, sure. We Always, That's uh, one of the powers of collaboration, man. We we always try to make fun of Scott Sigler at some point in each <laughs> in each season, and and this uh, this episode uh, this, this season is no exception. So look for look for that as well. Sigler mocking is a thing. It Absolutely. is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about conventions, Christoph? I, I as I recall from your last one, you didn't do a lot of convention stuff. Has that changed for you? You know, I've done a little bit. Um, you know, I was doing New York Comic Con when I when I lived there. But as you mentioned before, I just moved to San Francisco, so I don't have anything in my schedule yet. But um, you know, now Casey, that I'm on the fix right, that for him. Will you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will go where I am led. Oh no, so, I'll, we'll, uh, we'll we'll grace some conventions together. I, I'd like Very that. Cool. That'll be that'll be a ton of fun. Awesome, awesome. Well, I will make sure that that that, that links to to the the the, the Wayland Sphere and the Laputka verse uh, <laughs> are all uh, uh, a raid for for your fans and listeners uh, to to go out and check out. Definitely, thank you, gentlemen, both. Now, here's the deal. Uh, I want to take a just a brief brief moment and and give a little podcast airtime to another podcast or a fabulous ebook or some fabulosity that's happening out there uh, in t- interwebs. And when we come back, I would love to workshop a story with you both. What do you say? I'm in. Let's do it. Fabulous. Let's do that. Let's make that happen. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. Under 30,000 feet of water, the exploration rig Leaguer has discovered an oil field larger than Saudi Arabia. With oil so sweet and pure, nations would go to war for the rights to it. 
but as the team starts drilling exploration wells in their race to claim the sweet crude, a deep rumbling beneath the ocean floor shakes them to their core. Something has been living in the oil. Pauli Cooley's The Black is a techno-horror thriller reminiscent of movies such as Leviathan and The Thing, and puts terror right into readers' ears. The Black, a free podcast novel available from shadowpublications.com and iTunes. Ocean exploration will never be the same. Welcome back, dear friends. Thank you for rejoining us. And now, now we sit down to the grand banquet table because it's time to start brainstorming some fabulous story awesomeness. And we can't do that without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer sitting in the guest writer's chair. And and Casey Kristoff, our guest writer, is a physics PhD who fell in love with audio as a storytelling art form back in 2009. Since then, he's produced Dozens of full cast audio productions, several audiobooks, a Parsec award winning podcast, and most recently, a fabulous audio drama called Hidden Harbor Mysteries. Uh, and you can find all of this work over at lincolnaudio.com. Now he's building an audio production business. And in addition to continuing to work with as many friends as possible throughout the podcasting world, he's begun meeting with local talent based out of Providence, Rhode Island. Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair here at the round table, the director of BrianLincolnAudio.com and co-host of the Fullcast podcast, Master Brian Lincoln. Brian, we've 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 embraced each other at Balticon. You we've had you on the round table as a guest host at back of the early episodes our, our association and our friendship is long-standing i am so delighted to have you as a guest writer for this episode man thanks for stepping up and offering a story oh thanks so much dave it's great to be here absolutely now brian lincoln audio do tell sir what's this all about <clears throat> well i've been doing creative common stuff for years now and i just feel like the way that the audio space is shaping up. It just makes sense to try to make a business out of it. It's just something I've poured my all my free time into and all my effort into, and I, I just have so much fun doing it that I feel like I should do it the right way. So, are you are you doing other people's audio production, or are you producing your own work? Um, at first, my main show, the one we're going to talk about today, is written by me. Um, Hidden Harbor was something that Jay Smith wrote. It was really nice to work with something somebody else wrote, but I really. Uh, I really want to stay in house a little bit. I do other, I do produce other people's stuff as they ask me to. That's maybe some way that I'll fund some things here and there. But, but my focus will probably be at least in the next year or two on on the show we'll talk about today. Well, excellent, and that's that's a brilliant segue. We we gentlemen, we actually have a chance to to help Brian uh, launch his flagship project with an awesome story foundation. So let's get into that. Uh, uh, Brian, you know the deal. We give you five to eight minutes. You give us the title, the format, the genre. Give us a, a tagline, a hook line. Introduce us to the world. Introduce us to the characters. Give us basic tent poles of the story arc that you want us to workshop, and and we'll take it from there, dude. I am I am. Stepping away from the mic, it's all yours, bud. All right, let's plow through this so we can start talking. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the title is Relative Worlds. It's a serialized seasonal ensemble cast audio drama. I like to call it Interstellar Meets Firefly to put thoughts in the right direction. 
So I'm sure we'll talk a lot about the science later, but the key idea is that humans have colonized part of the Milky Way galaxy through the use of near speed of light travel, such that for a reference point, um, a 100-year journey would feel like about two weeks to the people on the ship. So different colonies throughout this space will have vastly different ages from, I guess, a few years to the timescale of human evolution into other species. The season will be about 10 scripts long. Each script will be broken up into three acts or episodes. Each script will follow a particular character from the ensemble, but today I want to focus on the POV of the first script, and partly I want to do that because she'll have the major plot arc for the whole season. So our main character is named Kinna. She's of a race called the Darshi. Their DNA has evolved from Homo sapien into a taller humanoid with distinctly larger eyes and horns, part of which is made of a biomaterial that attained its own consciousness without having any control over the body. So whereas a brain controls an individual body, this other biomass communicates with and is part of a single mind spread across the body parts of everyone in a single, often large family passed down on the, on the mother's side. And a result of this is you get a matriarchal society. So this family entity is called a seer guide and can manipulate what any family member sees or hears, often appearing as an illusion of another Darshi. Seer guides uh, have kept the Darshi relatively primitive for their own protection. When Kinna came of age, uh, she didn't actually see her family seer guide and so far has had to live her life shunned as an outlier. Her profound desire is to have her own seer guide and not be different. Lo and behold, it appears to her in Act 1, <laughs> shortly after an alien invasion of her family's farm. Her seer guide is named Idandu, and he convinces her, or it convinces her, that she's in danger and needs to turn herself over to the invaders in order to live. And succeeding in this surrender would be about the, the that would be the plot point at the end of Episode 1. Uh, we'll already have met Virian and heard of Lope, who are two brothers from what's called the Firiaxi family. Uh, they've both married into and live with Kinna's family. And they're sent to kill Kinna in the second episode. Um, and she's now on a ship in orbit. Um, but they have access because Firiaxi is the family responsible for bringing the in invaders to their planet um, for a deal. Basically, if they get the weapons and tech to give them power over other families, the invaders get to have all the dead bodies that result. The biomaterial containing the seer guides is a very valuable resource to the invaders. So Virian and Lope. Virian has always been rebellious and Lope always loyal to their seer guide, and they disagree on whether to follow their orders, and in the resulting chaos, uh, the ship containing them and Kenna ends up leaving orbit and heading for a near space, nearby spaceport. And I imagine Kinna chooses for this to happen, but I'm not firm on that. Um, that would be about the episode two point. And the third episode uh, would be at the spaceport itself. Kinna further negotiates with the man named Paul Kingsworth, who we met back in chapter two as the leader of the invaders, who, by the way, are human. Intrigued that Furioxi uh, was willing to ruin its whole deal just for a shot at killing Kinna, he seeks to learn how her newer, more powerful type of seer guide can be used to his advantage. What he doesn't know is that Idandu is very powerful here and able to orchestrate Kinna's escape. This involves getting her aboard the relativistic transport ship uh, parked on the spaceport, uh, and will follow that ship for the rest of the series. 
um, that ship will have a crew of six that will be regular characters. Uh, for structure, I'm roughly following sort of a hero's journey type of arc for Kina. Some of the key ideas that I want to explore, um, Kina and the newly revealed Idandu have different goals despite sharing the same body. Uh, Virian and Lope, um, as they jet off, lose contact with their own seer guide because there's a proximity that's necessary to maintain contact. So uh, they display two very different reactions to being cut off for the first time. Uh, Idandu is interested in freedom from life within someone else's body. He'd love to get like a robot body or something and not have to n negotiate everything using deception. Uh, and Paul Kingsworth um, pursues Kenna across time and space, intent on getting her to cooperate with his plan. And his plan involves using her to destroy the rival family structure and free the Darshi Dar from their seer guides without having to orchestrate war and death to meet demand. In other words, a more peaceful way for them to get the resource. Um, there's, the crew of six will contain a, a captain, a pilot, an engineer, a doctor, a psychologist, and a galactic lawyer. They live their lives traveling in a universe, always jumping forward in time. They'd serve to gain tremendously if they prevent a galactic, galactic incident. Uh, Kingsworth's people have no right to have physically contacted the much older Darshi, though they think they have the right. Another thing... One last thing to be aware of is that I consider disease to be a very important concept to consider. Controlled colony to colony contact is one of the most important rules of the galaxy, but it's also very difficult to enforce rules quickly due to relativistic effects. The crew of six are actually on a separate part of the ship um, from the, the passengers, which are Kina, Virian, Lope, etc., and only mingle while wearing protective suits. And in terms of what I want to explore today... I'd say uh, Virian and Lope, the, the two brothers, are pretty undeveloped beyond their role in Kinna's story. Um, I'm a little bit worried about the concept of a girl with special abilities racing around in a transport ship being too close to Firefly, so I'd like an opinion on that. <laughs> and uh, also the idea of uh, the, sh the thing starting out, uh, starting out a hero's journey on a family farm. I don't know if that's too trope, <laughs> too much of a trope. Um, okay. So those are the main ideas that I immediately wanted to bring up. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of questions I didn't go into the science at all, and that's extensive. So okay. that's what I got. Excellent. No, great pitch. There's 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 good food here on the table. There's 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 good framework to work on. Um, before we dive into this, though, we, we need to give our patented roundtable podcast disclaimer. Uh, Master Laputka, would you be so kind? Absolutely. Brian, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important that you realize that everything said from this point by myself, Dave, or Casey might be complete bullshit. This is your story, <laughs> and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Okay? Yep, sounds great. Okay. Awesome. Our asses are covered. Woo! We can party on now. Okay, well, here's how we roll into this. We generally start with a quick once around the table just to, just to showcase stuff that we find really cool or stuff that we got questions about. Ask Brian uh, to clarify or elaborate. Uh, traditionally, we start with our esteemed guest host. So, Master KC, uh, start us off. Uh, what, what are your first impressions of, of Brian's uh, story idea and what, what questions do you have for him? Um, it was hard to track a little bit. Um, there are so many new words that, um, it was a little hard to follow who was who at one point. Like I was very confused at which species was which. I mean, obviously this is just something that's, that's coming 
just just off the cuff. Right. Um, so when you whenever you're it seems to be giving as new species a name um, that we're unfamiliar with and then all these different uh, alien names, we can't dif- differentiate what is a species versus what is a character, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, so that's it's one of those things that um, might be. Well, we can get into hints later, but that was just something that um, was really hard to, to differentiate between the two, like. The Firaxis family is Firaxis a species, or is it the family name? Is it the surname? You know that yeah. that, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, and I didn't get a sense of who she, who anybody was, um, just just from the off the cuff. Um, I didn't know what. Depending on what people wanted, um, I wasn't sure of the motivations of even the invaders. Like you said, that they want to take over the hive mind or something along those lines. Um, granted, I, I just, it's, we get a lot of questions to come across. Uh, so should I just dove, dive into those? Or? Uh, those, you, you've raised those plot points, uh, uh, and that's, and that's definitely good. Uh, go ahead and ask, pick your top three, uh, top three questions for Brian, and then we'll move on to Christoph. Okay. Um, f- okay. So looking at the, just the science of the world, just so I get an idea of who these, who these characters are. Um, traveling between the worlds is going to take years, correct? To the people on the ship, it does not, does not take years. Um, to the people on the ship, it might be a couple weeks. It totally depends on the distance they're traveling. But due to relativity, if you were to travel, say, two weeks um, on the ship, it's like a two-week plane ride for you, everything else in the universe has aged 100 years at the same time. So everyone you would have known has died of old age that wasn't also traveling when you did. I would almost recommend maybe throwing that one element out. And I, the only reason I know it's probably a, a pillar of what your story is. The only <laughs> reason I would I would say that is because it feels like if you have any events that are tapping simultaneously in two different places, your timetable is going to need a map for people to understand what's going on. Yeah, but that's it's just going to be harder to follow is all. I hear you. And it's also like, say, for instance, you have. Uh, from the same planet, two ships going in opposite directions that have two vital characters, they will never be able to intermingle again based on your timetable that you set. It basically requires that the story remain contained within, within the, the ship. ship, right? Yeah, yeah and then that, that would lose ex- exploration of stuff. You're just basically killing off people in droves and all like a cycle. Pretty much the um, anyone that's left behind whenever they go anywhere would not really have the, unless they also traveled, they wouldn't be able to come back. Okay. It's just one of those things also like when you're dealing with spaceships in space, if it's that long, all of a sudden, let's say the spaceship gets launched that uh, follows those dimensions of times and say they're on a journey for two hours, which is really, really a thousand years on Earth. The spaceship that is now launching from Earth could have the ability to forego that consequence, then making your main characters become obsolete. Like a thousand years in advancement for for civilizations is a huge quantity that could make the story go in any direction, which is good and bad. Yeah, I agree. It it, it, it introduces a, a level of chaos uh, uh, and and like you say, conflicting timelines. That's that's an excellent point. Well, let, let's put a pin in that, and we can come back and visit that as as it as it impacts the story arc. Anything else, Casey? Um, I do, I want to know what the motivations of the invaders are besides just invading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I they got to have like I, I the the hive mind thing was a l- very confusing for me when you said that the horns have a consciousness that yeah. summons their elders, which is it's cool. It's like 
you know, I, I like the idea that they're in touch with their uh, forefathers. Kind of like it reminds me a little bit of uh, Mulan, where the, the the ancestors look <laughs> after the people going forward. That's a really cool concept. Um, I just want to know how the hive mind works. It's per family unit. Is is yep. how, how you're saying? Yeah. Okay. I can explain that. Um, I basically think of it whereas you think of a person's brain as being like one computer, the high the the seer guide, as I call it, is actually sort of like a network of, of interacting computers, parts of which are in all the different people in the family. So it's basically, um, from a DNA perspective, it's the species DNA actually generating two brain-like masses, one of which is distinctly different from the other, but they're both sentient. So the genetically wavelength built in communicates back and forth with each other only through bloodlines. Uh, right. So anyone born of, of uh, a mother gets the same, let's say, key or, or signal that allows genetic them, harmonics in a sense. And um, every once in a while, there's a mutation. That's how new families start. Um, and every once in a while, someone doesn't actually see anything also due to mutation, which is the Kinna's case. Although in her case, um, she's a new kind in the sense that instead of starting a new family wherever kid she ever has is in a sense communicating with her own um hers actually has the ability to to uh, make the connection with any of the families so it can it's kind of been spying um through everyone's eyes all along but not revealing itself it's the uber seer guide in a sense yeah there's something there's something you mentioned there that i think you really need to like grab onto and that is the fact that she is she is the first that's going to be different. I, I love would love to see the world reject her because she's that different. Like if if all of a sudden everybody's like I this, I can talk to my ancestors and this girl doesn't have that. She also feels more alone than anybody else, and that feels that's a great like proponent in the story of 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 why we're exploring this character. So that's a really that seems like something that would be a really powerful choice to. Get in there early on to make her feel like she's alone. Yeah. Um, and then it seems like it seems like those six people that you have off in space. It seems like that's more interesting of a story. Their relationships of 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 going out. Like I hate to say, the serenity is more important than the stuff that happened on the Earth. But it feels like <laughs> that way. Like it feels like the story starts in the third um, chapter rather than the first. And it, I don't know. I almost wish that you jumped into right in the third chapter and then. Back tell us Ooh, what yeah. happened you could do, at that You point. could do flashbacks. You could, you could build that backstory over the court while moving the main narrative forward. Well, that's an interesting concept. I mean, if, if, uh, if you have a seasonal show like this and you're not getting to the, the ship until the third, the third episode, is that setting up expectations that you're going to stay on that world? Is that the feel? Uh, yeah, it does. I think so. It, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it and also, um, you're jumping into the things that we want to see the most. And also, um, you're answering every question as you pose them in the story. Like, oh, you're telling where she came from and all the backstory and all the information. Rather than if you just jump into the story a little further and give us and fill us in with those little details, you're also letting questions arise. And you're going to able to answer those questions. And the questions will be the most dynamic portion. Like, that's how you reveal the world that's around you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That's a good point. Excellent point. Um, switching over to Christoph. Christoph, what are your first impressions and uh, what questions do you have for Brian? 
Well, I I agree with a lot of what Casey said in the beginning, where it was a little bit confusing to try and follow the the character names versus the species names, um, and, uh, and and some of the mythology. But I think a lot of that would get um, would get resolved if you know we the listener you know were um, you know we could hit rewind, and if it was something we couldn't follow, you know when it finally comes out, I think a lot of those uh, a lot of those problems just sort of resolve resolve themselves. Um, what I found most interesting to me, the story or the, the part that I wanted to hear the most about was this sort of symbiotic relationship between um, between the the biomass of the horns and the uh, and the and the and the other species that um, the humanoid species that contains them. So to me, this is really a story about compromise and about power, and it's about what motivates the the biomass and. Um, and, and you talked a little bit about how in different, uh, in different uh, sentience, that's different where they can be in harmony or they could be in opposition to one another. And I thought that was really fascinating. The other part that I'd like to learn a little bit more about is, is what the power dynamic is between the biomass and, and, and the sentience. In other words, can the horns release a, you know, um, a, a release of endorphins or, um, or, or pleasure, or can they cause pain if they don't get what they want? How does that process get negotiated, um, within, within the body? That's a good um, question. Yeah. And and to me, that's that that's really the interesting part because you know how do you have leverage over a partnership that you are intrinsically tied to? Um, there is no nuclear option, or or maybe is there? I don't know. <laughs> um, so that that to me was really interesting, and and again, echoing um, Casey's comments, I think the story really got got particularly exciting for me when it was these six people with different skill sets that were on were, that were on the ship. Um, you know, I thought it was. I, I'm sure everybody on you know that uh, all all the co-hosts. When you said there's a galactic lawyer. Like on the ship, that, that, I, I promise you, all of our ears went up. Like, really? That's like there was no lawyer on the Enterprise. Like that seems, but but I actually think that's really interesting because um, I'm a huge fan of the concept of international law. Does it exist? Yeah. Who enforces it? And I'm sure extending that to the Milky Way to the idea of galactic law. Um, that's a really fascinating concept. Um, you know. What what are the what are galactic laws? Who enforces them? Um, do, do the laws exist if there is no enforcement? Um, are they based in morality? So what seemed kind of like a like a random character actually I think has has very important implications as to the world that you're building. So so for me as a listener, I want to hear more about that in addition sure. to how the different characters, because um, I think Casey's 100% right. The story begins when the six of them are on the ship. Um, and and you've got not only the interplay between the um, and, and forgive me I forget the name the, the the biomass of the horns and the characters, but then also the different inhabitants of the spaceship. So those are two parties that are interacting with each other. That I think the interesting parts of the story come from. Yeah, cool. very much so. There was there was something that just came up that I was thinking about because um, you you said this was modeled after Serenity um, or just as an inspiration. Um, something to try maybe that might be different because you seem like uh, you're having the main character getting thrown onto the ship very much kind of like Serenity worked. Um, an alternative may be that everybody gets put on the ship at the same time and no one knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that where that will make so much more drama and also give you a chance to introduce all these characters at in the very first get-go. Like you'll be able to be like, the ship isn't running, 
who's the person going to step up and try and figure it out? And then all of a sudden you get to like, ex- like introduce this really interesting character that that that's kind of like becomes his mode. And I, I don't know. It just, it seems like there's a better way of, of finding that launching point where you can, cause you, are you going for an ensemble cast piece or are you going for more of a onesie twosie and then everyone else is supporting? Really ensemble. Okay. Really ensemble. Then that definitely, definitely jump into those ensemble as early as you can. And, and also um, in terms of just structure, it's really good to let there be maybe one character that is familiar with them to give them that level of comfort, and then everybody else is new. I know that may be a weird because you know how by them by themselves going up there, it might be good storytelling to just kind of give them a support element to go with them and also give them familiarity with their world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The other thing that really came up that I was that made me wonder, like. Because you started using a computer terms to tell us how the species worked. Who is the author? Who's the narr- who's Where's the story coming from? Who's telling it? So I would imagine that um, at least what I have in mind is for each script to have a bit of over-the-top narration from whoever the focus character is for that episode. Um, sort of just talking o- like a little bit of voiceover at the beginning or between scenes, that kind of thing. Not within a scene. Okay. Um, all right. So the hmm, the problem that you you won't be able to use human analogies, maybe if that's the case. Oh, in terms, yeah. Which will be- the the computer reference is really just it's really a metaphor. It's just to try to get our heads around conceptual. It. Not, yeah. Well, no, that's good. Um, what I'm saying is, when you take that away, we won't have any like. Oh, the, the I hate to use Star Trek terms, but whatever. But the, the <laughs> it was like, oh man, it was such a Klingon-y summer. Like you're <laughs> not going to use human referency terms. You're right. going to be the the world that's familiar to the author is going to be foreign to us already. And when you're doing a um, an audio drama like this, we don't have the ability to rewind very easily. I know Christoph was saying, yeah, you can just rewind, but a lot of people won't be able to do that. So it's like it has to be very relatable from the first get-go if we're especially if we're like discovering in a whole new world how are we going to relate to it is is a real big question yeah and that's that's where some of the um timelines become important because whereas in order to have humans evolve into um what they have in the terms of uh this kinna girl uh you really need a long time scale um, but in terms of a lot of the ship's crew, they could actually have originated more from the frontier or been traveling around on various ships their whole lives. So they're actually, they could actually have been born, um, you know, a few hundred years from where we're sitting right now and still be around way, way into the future because they've traveled around so much. Um, you know what might be a good solution for that? So you can get both of those elements is create a rule where if they're in the same galaxy the time is more relative. If they start to go intergalaxy, like past that, that's when it starts to be the timetables really shift by those thousand years. Therefore, like you only have to worry about the timetable when you go to a new galaxy. That way you can play around with different planets and cultures in the same relative space and still have that luxury of going and getting further out in the time blocks. Like maybe even each season is a different galaxy that's visited. Yeah, but my my my, my sense is that Brian has probably spent a lot of time researching um, relativistic equations <laughs> to to understand what the. Am I, am I tell me if I'm wrong? Um, like like you're viewing that as part of the appeal of your series that you're scientifically realistic. In in terms of how the relativity works and how the the spatial and time scales that I've had in mind so far, it's based on 
the real thing, how it would actually be if ships that see the, the thing is this, the idea is that if a ship can travel just, just under the speed of light, um, you get this effect. It's just what happens is completely unavoidable. That's how the physics would work. So what ha so that's basically the the technology of this world. And what I'm saying is that things like wormholes, things like uh, faster than light travel, which are just sci-fi staples, are actually impossible uh, in terms of the scale of a ship. This is as far as you can go. So even though different worlds will have different technologies and lots of cool things, um, in terms of how people get around and stuff like they reach the limit with this, so the rules don't change. So you've drawn a line in the sand, technologically speaking, that no one will ever have faster than light travel. Period. Yes. Okay. Yeah, look, but that's. Uh, I'm gonna. I. I only. I kind of want to debate it only slightly because even now we're finding that light can travel at distant rates depending on. Uh, a couple of other factors, the like the medium. Last week they I saw that medium. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So it's <laughs> in a it's vacuum. Our, you're talking about the limits of, of physics and science as we presently know it sure. in this medium. So um, there, I would hate to see like a story suffer based on like the science of the now versus what could happen because you're you're evolving these species so far that who's to know what might be possible in terms of just like we don't even know what sort of like uh, laws of physics may exist in a different galaxy they might be slightly different we haven't fully explored so I, I just wouldn't hate to see like science dictate so much that um it makes things harder to tell as a story i understand that but sometimes though when you when you instill certain rules in terms of knowing what is not possible um certain interesting ideas to play with come up and i think that's kind of what make gives it an opportunity to be so different from a lot of other science fiction worlds is that it's it's really built off of what you can't do in a sense, what the limits are. You know, it's interesting, um, you know, and, and maybe this just wasn't the, the form to do it, but I, I heard you talk so much about the story and the plot, but something that I'm interested in is how do you hear your soundscape? Like you're, mm -hmm. you're doing this as an audio drama and, and what's, what's really important is, you know, is, is your voice and your, your vision for, 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 for the soundscape. And, you know, I think Casey has done an amazing job creating a really tense um, atmosphere um, that, that's very character driven and, and a lot of interplay. And I think, you know, very gritty, very gritty exactly. Yeah, and with Leviathan, I've tried to do something that's, um, you know, a little bit more about music and effects and, and maybe um, a little, a, a little bit more, I don't want to say cinematic, but how do you, there's so many different ways to skin the cat. I'd like to know how you see this sounding and how that affects or benefits your storytelling vision. Yeah. So when I talked at the very beginning about calling it sort of Firefly meets Interstellar. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's sort of where I was going with it in the sense that I imagine um, having a very much a feel of, of realistic like astronaut type of situation. So you have spacesuits going on and off, people talking through those. You have the typical, instead of like Star Trek or things like that, where you don't get a sense of the space and the dangerousness of outer space, I kind of like the idea of, of it being still pretty rough, even though you have this great technology to get around. Um, it's still, it's still dangerous and empty and, and, and unfortunately know. very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> True. But I mean, not, yeah, 
Yeah, if they were outside the ship, but there's air on the ship, so. <laughs> are there? Are there? Um, are do you foresee in your? Do you see uh, space battles or anything? That sounds a little. It sounds like you're you're grounded a little bit more than that, but. No, I see more of it happening on ships or just outside. Like I don't, I don't imagine shooting matches ship to ship, anything like that. Right. That's not really the kind of of space opera that I'm, or whatever you want to call it, that I'm thinking of. Okay. Well, that, that's where you could like, and maybe that's like the Geneva Convention of Space is they don't shoot at each other because then it would just be, create a vacuum in both their ships and everyone would die. So there's a there's like a there's like a code. Uh, in space that you don't shoot something outside of the ship. That's just not not done. It's not proper. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, one of the keys that I imagine, it, due, due to the relativity, one thing that happens is that you have these worlds. If, they're, if you're 100 light years away from the nearest planet that has people on it, it not only takes 100, a little more than 100 uh, year, years for your ship to travel there, according to both planets anyway, it doesn't feel like that on the ship, but... You also takes a hundred years for a signal, like a message, to be sent at the speed of light to the other planet. So it's not like you kill somebody and everyone else knows it. A hundred years later, they'll find out that it happened. And if you haven't traveled around very much, the, then no one ever came to to punish you for it, in a sense. Which is why we have the idea of galactic lore. You have this enforcement where people are around to make others aware of who is crossing the boundaries. Yeah, but so, how do they do that if it's I'm, I'm, it seems like a very isolating world. Well, exactly. As, as yeah. soon as as soon as your protagonist leaves, goes relativistic on mm -hmm. this spaceship of, of of these very cool characters. I agree. Um, at that point, the world behind her is gone. Yeah, the conflict. Yeah, I, don't I, care I see that live. too. It's all about the six people that are on the ship. Yeah, any if there's a galactic war, I mean, how. Short-lived are wars nowadays. Eventually, conflict will burn out. A hundred-year war is is very uncommon. Yeah, and the thing yeah, that pissed you absolutely. off and set you off to war, and you launch your ships. You know, by the time you get the reports, it's over. Yep. And those ships that left are are out fighting a battle that doesn't exist anymore. So I'm I'm curious. You know, the the idea of a galactic empire without faster than light communication. At least communication, maybe not travel, but communication, mm -hmm. uh, uh, creates, as has been observed, this this vacuum of of story world, uh, where everything that our character cares about, as soon as she goes relativistic, is gone. Basically, anybody that steps onto a ship has killed everyone behind them, and the world that they love, and all the things that they they cherish and define them as a being ceases to exist and you're completely isolated in your own mind and in the ship's environment like interstellar they like they it was still within the lifetime of the people on earth right. if it wasn't we wouldn't care right I, I think dave had a really interesting idea too about you know i and i understand that this is your world and you're, you're very committed and perhaps rightfully so to this idea of of relativistic physics but but information could be the exception to that. And I say that's interesting because what if they were getting um, information on a timely basis, but they can't do anything about it because they're too far? And like, what if they're getting news that, you know, that 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 affects the dynamics of the six people that are on the ship, but yet, 
You know, it's like I always love that that uh, if anybody saw the movie 2010, the sequel to 2001, it was a crappy movie, but there was it was about having a Russian and, and American astronauts going to Jupiter, but then a, a war breaks out between Russia and America. Right. But, but but does it matter in space? Like, what if your characters are having you know if, there, if there's a change in galactic law, but but it isn't even enforceable on the environment of of that ship and what you know. How do the different characters interpret that? I think keeping information um, or, or or message transmission faster than light might open up a lot more narrative opportunities. What do you think, bro? Yeah, I'll have to think about the information end of it. The 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 important thing to note in that respect is that I agree that the what's important to the people on the ship are the people on the ship. One of the when I was trying to come up with sort of what the theme would be for a, a script like this. Um, my answer was what matters if time is no longer constant mm-hmm. and it would be the people. That, that would be a good thing then if that's, yeah. if that's what you're going for. Yeah. Which means, but then what's the biggest conflict of everything? Yeah, like what's the big conflict enveloping? What are the arcs that you're working with in that context? Yeah. I mean, in terms of, of Kina, you're right. Why at some point she probably realizes that cause she doesn't necessarily at the beginning understand all this stuff, but sometime at some point she has to realize that, Going back, no one's there anymore anyway, unless, you know, something yeah. caused that. But then that, that creates a character motivation paradox of why do anything? If I'm leaving Earth and I'm coming back in 200 years, why do I do anything here on Earth? Because in 200 years, it's not going to matter. Mm-hmm. It's like I, it, it doesn't really give the characters much to live for or grow to. Grow to. It, like, removes the foundation. Like, if there, maybe they can grow within the ship, that's fine. But then they're so dependent on the other people around them, then why would they ever leave anything ever? Why would you even go into space? Let me, let me toss out a what if. And this, this occurred to me early in the discussion. I've been kind of mulling it over. Um, if, you know, clearly, Brian, this is this has drawn a lot of attention in the context of this discussion. Uh, uh, and, and I think that that's, that's a good thing if, if either in terms of finding something that could potentially hamstring you in your storytelling later on or requiring something that requires a lot more attention and, and focus to make work, uh, especially in the context of that, that, that creed station statement that you just made. So, so let me, let me put this out there. Um, God, I forget the name of the horror story, but there was, there was a, a horror movie that came out a while back where they had this vision of something coming out of a church in the future. And the whole crux of the story was to ensure that that doesn't happen. So they're going into this creepy place, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, That's a John Carpenter movie, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember that. Um, Chilling, chilling tale. Holy crap. Uh, So what if, Brian, what if we work a parallel story arc here? What if you jump ahead? What What if one of the stories, one of the opening segments of the story is Kenna returning a thousand years later? And stepping off onto her planet for the first time and engaging in whatever strife or conflict has evolved over those thousand years. And then parallel to that story and continuing that narrative, use the events that launched her out into space as sort of a parallel exploration of what she had, what she went through that brought her back to finally redeem her people in some way, shape, or form. I realize that's a huge change from from what you've been working with, but that that it, 
that's one way that it occurred to me that this this relativistic only no faster than light speed story could still give a, a, a hook for your audience to go, God, how, how does she do this? Well, we find out in episode 16. Uh, uh, why does she, why does she say this when she's dealing with this? Well, we find out it's sort of like a backstory and force story at the same time. I don't know. I'm, I might be rambling. Well, the other option I'm thinking of right now is the fact that if season one is really about Kina and her home planet, in a sense, if all the events are happening, not from, planets that are interacting over long distances but a few planets within one solar system then the relativistic effects will be minor over the course of the season even though in the universe they exist and they're kind of cut off from everything else at least in the short term because you can't have a galactic lawyer if it's going to take him two centuries to serve papers to someone yeah well i imagine that there's a system for that that probably we don't have time to get into but I, i but i agree that it really seems you're writing yourself in a corner yeah. is what's happening. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I've got two questions for, for Brian. Um, the, the first is what do you, what is your favorite part of the world and the story that you're creating and be just be honest. And it can be, it can be something very, you know, vain or, or, or silly <laughs> or, you know, like I have, I'm, I'll do a small giveaway. Like in Leviathan, I had a scene where I wanted to hear characters walking through the African jungle and to make them just make the jungle come alive. That's part of why I wrote Leviathan. I also wanted to <laughs> make people feel what it was like to be underwater. Now, what what is it for you about the story is it that you want people to really, truly understand the amazing effects of relative, relativistic physics? Is it that you want people to feel like they're on a spaceship and what that would really be like? Or is it do you want people to feel what it would be like to have another – to share a body with somebody else? Tell me what what excites you about this. I think one of the key things that I wanted to do at the start was have um, a universe that was built out of – the real science instead of made up stuff that probably could never happen. Okay. Like what, what could definitely happen based on what we know um, with, you know, the one twist being, you know, being able to travel that fast on a ship rather than putting all the tropes into a big pile and pretty much coming up with the same thing everyone else has done before. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair because there's a lot of stories that, you know, that is what they go with. So I like the idea that you're trying to use, you know, fact instead of, you know, just meh. Mm-hmm. The other thing yeah, that I like, that the other thing I like about it is if you spread out over a portion of the Milky Way, and maybe you've discovered life on different planets, but not intelligent life um, in terms of any planet that was initially settled by humans. But the idea would be that um, all the alien races, so to speak, in my science fiction universe, are places that have evolved from humans. So they all have English as their you know galactic language from the beginning. So there's not all this silly translator mumbo jumbo like like there would be yeah. sort of a galactic language for trade there would be you know everything is there you don't have to have these super super weird things i mean the this species i've come up with is weird enough <laughs> and that's just pushing kind of human dna to you know if dna can create one brain why can't it create two when it builds a body you know what i mean so that's kind of the so Americans conquer space. Then basically is what you're saying. Way back when, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, English is the universal science language, so it's. I mean, it's got to be it's my all, language. I'm not going to. That's all. It's also for aviation. <laughs> no, no, that's, yeah, that's fair. You picked a winner. I mean, it's, it happens. <laughs> 
Well, let me let me ask you. Let me follow up with that in 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 talking about audio drama because because I think one question that you need to answer is why shouldn't it just be an audio book versus an audio mm-hmm. drama? And my ideas for what you've written so far is I would really want to hear some different effect for the way that the horn biomass communicates with the humanoids or the way that mm-hmm. their uh, their seer guide communicates like that's where you've got to put the, the the magic into it because you know as much as you know we, we talked about the importance of storytelling that that it is but you've also got to make it sound awesome and you got to make it sure. you know like wh- where do you see some cool audio coming in like like nobody does a nobody does a, a firefight more realistic than KC like that's sexy what yeah. <laughs> what is it what is it in your story is it is there, are there going to be like a lot of cutaways where you hear like the engines taking off and how do you sell this as an audio drama yeah i think um so one of the things i'm really exploring with this script is it'll be the first time i work with local actors in addition to working with my satellite i call them satellite actors mm-hmm. um and i really wanted to have you know that's one of the main concepts here is that you have these passengers on a ship then you have a crew of the ship and the passengers are all really in the room together. And then the crew of the ship is sort of relative to them are kind of on the periphery because I really want my local actors to be interacting with each other as more than Mm -hmm. the satellite actors. Um, But the satellite actors are all great too. And it's just built in a way that getting lines the way I do from who I do makes a lot of sense, I guess. What's, What's cool about the way the ship sounds? Uh, I don't know. I kind of just imagine sort of a, a hum type of thing. But I guess if I deep thrum of the engines, mm-hmm. the core. Yeah. yeah, but you don't want it to be imagine, distracting either. <laughs> well, there <laughs> is that. <laughs> it's always. I there. imagine just a really huge claustrophobic feel yeah. for when you're outside the ship, as if you're only in the helmet in this giant empty cavern of nothingness. That. Right there, I think would be one of the most amazing sound designs, yeah. like possible. In Especially that. if you contrast it with a very vibrant, active bleep bleep inside yeah. the ship. So when they actually do leave the ship, there's that stark emptiness. I, I think you've got a tricky job because I think I view spaceships like submarines, like they're actually that claustrophobia that I have tried. I've worked really hard on that, and that is hard to create. And I th- and and you can definitely do it, but I think that music is going to play a huge part of this because I don't think you have a lot of sure. effects to play with because there's not a lot of action of not action. There's not a lot of physical action that you can attribute to a sound effect necessarily going on. And I think part of the huge success of the story is going to be picking your music the right way to influence the mood because you're not going to have laser beams and you're going to have, it sounds like a very realistic approach to, um, to spacecraft, which might not be the most dynamic soundscape. Sure. Is my idea. You have to fake some of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, can I, can I back us up a little bit? We're going a little far into production. I think there's some big issues to kind of tackle earlier. Sure. Um, what is it's just, what is the big main conflict? What's the, the thing that overarcs everything, the, the the thing that drives the story. Well, the thing I had in mind for season one, and this could change, was for them to be pursued by another ship the whole time. And they're trying to find a way to basically resolve Kina's issues, get her home and 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 resolve her what's going on with her 
all, all this stuff that's going on with her planet. Um, but the, the ticking clock is the fact that they're being chased all along. Um, Why are you being chased? I like because that idea a lot. Being, being after her specifically because of what she can do. So, but who, who is, who is it that wants her? Uh, it's that same guy that was invading her planet in the first place. Found Paul out. Paul Kingsworth. Yeah. Okay. Found out. Okay. That she. Why? Why are they invading the planet? I'm just. I'm just keep on. I'm. I'm back. I'm going through. And, sure. Uh, sure. A, a reason loop is what I'm yep, doing. Yep. The reason I had them invading the planet was that the bio material that um that makes up this second brain, so to speak, in everybody is something they can't scientifically reproduce, but it's incredibly valuable. It can do things that nothing else can do. And my idea was that um, human, the, the human people that are coming to, to get this biomaterial from the aliens um, want to use it to replace the lenses in their own eyes as sort of like a super advanced version of like Google Glass or something. How do they know about the biomass? Yeah, Does I didn't it- get into that yet. My idea was that originally the planet had originally was advanced humans um, before they evolved and that there's a system of um, sort of rail launchers on the planet. And even though they don't have the technological understanding of how they work, they still operate and that the seer guides use basically convince them to send their dead into space after they've died on the, just they shoot them out into space and it's their way of exploring it um, in a sense. But these are both humanoid species, correct? Well, they're within the same body. Well, but you'd, you'd said that when, when Varian and Lope fly away, they get disconnected from their seer guide. Yeah, well, so it, this... depends, it depends how I do it, but that was an idea for, to explore them being separated from what they've known their whole lives. But Sure, sure, sure. I think there's, I think there's an underlying hole with the, the, the questions why. Like, why is it that, like if if they're both humanoid species or if they're what wherever their origins are they're they're basically killing these people correct for what they have well what what's yes. happened is they've realized when these bodies appear um they dissect them and found this material and they're trying to get more of the bodies they're not necessarily walking in and saying i'm going to kill everyone now they're more like more or less saying but if you kill each other and give us the bodies we'll be happy with that so you have three players then, not two. I have the 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 people that the advanced humans. I have the seer guide, sort of the second consciousness across the family, and then I have the invading people that that want the material. Yeah, but then that one of them is is sort of parasitic in a way. It's like it clings onto the other one. So you really only have then. It's it's just uh, the the motivations are getting very confusing now. I just mm-hmm. um, like it. I'm trying to figure out why the root of any, any why does anybody do anything? If you have a species that's harvesting them for their glasses or whatever, they're basically using that species as as kind of like cattle. You know, right. they're just getting what they need from them. Um, if they're pitting them in a war against each other to get their dead bodies, um, then why why is it that you know, there, there's some weird moral dilemmas of, of the reasoning be- behind something. It doesn't sound like it's as strong as it could be. Like there's fel- there seems to be like some work in there that could be done. Gentlemen, sure. let me let me interject. Um, uh, I'm watching the clock tick down and uh, uh, I, I we need to take this to to a, to a wrap up. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take one more turn around the table and uh, uh, Casey, you, Christoph and myself uh, give Brian 
identify what issues we found, some suggestions, some ideas moving forward. F- fill his pockets with some literary gold uh, uh, so that uh, this this discussion, which has been fabulous, uh, can actually set his feet on a very active path of of making this incredible story happen. Uh, Casey, we'll start off with you, sir, if that's all right. Uh, uh, final final sure. thoughts for, for Master Brian. Okay, I got three things to consider when when going through the story. Um, one is is figure out the motivations of everybody, like the reason, like like I was saying, the reasons why and what motivates them to do something. Because if you can figure out why they're doing something, the rest is going to be easy. And if you find that big old master question of why are we telling the story, it'll all kind of intertwine and go from there. Um, the second thing is to um, figure out the. You said that everyone comes from the same source of language. They're all human. That's all like one stem of language. But just like American, we have different sects of the United States and different cultures and things. And especially if they're left to their own devices for years, they may evolve a completely different language and culture. So I'd really love to see you explore that um, a little bit further instead of just dissecting the language. Like really find out what makes these things different and that could be the reasoning and differences could be the reason why you have a main conflict because everyone every culture conflict that happens you know as humans that's everything has to come back to with like our our belief system it always seems to go down to what that main conflict is between so that might be something to, to explore um and really identify these characters and figure out who they are because the characters need to propel the story more than anything and right now it feels more like the environment is dictating and the plot is dictating what's happening rather than the choices the people in the story make yep very much so very much so christophs you sir sure i um i want to focus on the things that that i really liked about what um about the the, the storyline of the universe that you created and, and i think how to flesh it out a little bit more to me the most exciting thing that that i've heard all night is is this relationship between the biomass and the humanoids that they that they occupy and and it's it's really you know i i kind of view it with the same fascination that you know people view siamese twins um what is the intimacy is it is it awkward do they know each other's secrets um, how do you hide something from you know from a body that you share? How do you how do you negotiate? How do you compromise? How is conflict resolved? And and what is the, what are their different desires? Um, I think that's really really fascinating, and I think you're on you're onto something really great there. The other thing that I wanted to, that I want to say is I love your idea of of a ship chasing them, and I like that really from from more of a technical standpoint because it gives you another soundscape to play with. Because your listener will get bored if they're listening to one soundscape just exclusively um, but the idea that they can flip into a different perspective on a different spaceship and just to mix it up it's just you know it's what Casey said last week where you need to vary your soundscape up and and I think having another ship gives you not just another host of characters but another soundscape to play with to vary it up which is going to create kind of a more dynamic environment for for storytelling excellent great excellent points I can I throw one last yeah, out yeah. there I, I know I know I, I, it came to me as I was going through um, <laughs> is uh, how figure out how we can identify and interpret the story from a human perspective. Like, how are we going to translate the things in their world to make them relative to us? Like you use the metaphor of computer, which I loved. Um, if you can find a way for those metaphors to work for us. Like whether the device is a is like a translator, like some some way we can identify with the story and make it relative in our terms, I think is going to be important. Otherwise, it's like 
you know, the Klingon-y sun, this Klingon-y summer, like how we can relate. <laughs> what relevance that has. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. For myself, Brian, I, I would I would point out that, you know, looking back over the last 45 minutes of discussion or so, uh, uh, the conversation has been very much about the world. And you, you had said yourself that that was your initial impetus into this story verse was the world itself. The fact that characters really didn't factor in that much, I think, is something that that really needs to be pointed out as you move forward. Uh, the characters are missing from this, that passion, that arc, that 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 human connection that your readers are going to engage with. The world will capture their their interest and their imagination, but the characters will capture their heart. And that's what keeps them coming back. So you're going to have to give us something to hook our hearts into with this. Um, that said, uh, I really liked the idea of shrinking the the context of the the, the story to a single solar system uh, rather than going galactic with it. I thought that had some interesting possibilities. Uh, I think, Christoph, I know why the 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 separate consciousness is so interesting. At least I know why it's interesting for me because it embodies the notion of a collective. It embodies the idea, because one of the things that humans are dealing with, we, right now, your readers, are dealing with, is this sense of isolation in the presence of so much technology, so many ways to connect. Uh, uh, in, in some ways, it's highlighted or, or separated us from each other somehow. And what you've created in this species is a potential evolutionary step for humanity to, to actually feel that connection in a very visceral uh, uh, heart way. And, and I, I think that's why that's so appealing and interesting. And if that's why, if that's something that you can resonate with as well, then maybe that needs to be the core of the story and pursue or at least a, a strong thread of, of that connection, that unity. Granted, you've got these guys as kind of antagonists. They want to be alone. And maybe that's part of the resolution is finding a way for them to integrate. Uh, uh, and integration is a good theme. The other thought that I had, and I'm just going to put these two quick thoughts out here. One, if if it takes centuries to go from, from planet to planet, then the ships that go are going to be freaking huge. They're going to be ginormous. They're going to be small worlds with uploaded cultures taking, they're like culture seeds. Uh, uh, they would almost be like generation ships. I can't imagine anyone wanting to abandon their world in a small ship. Uh, uh, and if that's the case, if, if that makes sense to you, then the generation ship becomes kind of a cool uh, uh, framework to work with and the pursuit takes on a different tone. What that led to was an idea of how you can make a galactic culture that uses only relativistic speeds work. And here it is. If there are constantly enormous ships constantly running at relativistic speeds between planets, you create way stations, highways of relativistic networking. In fact, you would create a separate culture that exists almost exclusively relativistically. And then I don't need to spend 200 years 
to go to all the way to this other planet. I'm going to need to spend a few years, get to the, the next relativistic shuttle that's going from planet A to planet B and drop it off and pick up my packets of information that were sent off, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, that would It's not going to solve the problem, but it would compress it and maybe to a level that would make it manageable from the story you're, you're trying to tell. So... All right, there's my stuff. There we go. Now, Brian, here's the deal, as it always is on the roundtable. You've gotten a lot of literary gold. Some of, some of it's crap. <laughs> some of it's gold. You decide which is which. So moving forward, when you write this, and I'm going to just say when. I'm just going to assume that. When that happens and when it goes out there, whether it's up on iTunes, whether you CD it, whether some new technology manifests in between now and then and you work, as long as it's out there in the world, we will bring you back, sir, and we will knight you. We will make you a knight <laughs> of the round table podcast. That's the carrot, man. Can you get behind that? Oh, Absolutely. Outstanding, and we'll have it in space. We'll have we'll have Christoph and Casey design the soundscape. There'll be bleeps. There'll be comments. It'll be freaking awesome. So outstanding, Casey Wayland. Uh, uh, this sir is why we bring veteran storytellers on as guest hosts. You informed this discussion with a lot of value, insight, and inspiration, and we're very very grateful. Thank you, sir. Hua. Hua. I, 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 never mind. It's an army thing. I haven't said it in years. I was like, eh, I don't know how to respond. <laughs> I said thank you so many times. Very good point. We'll take Uwa. There, we have a saying in my family. Uh, we do it between each other. We go, mew, mew. So you'll get him in you. <laughs> we'll take him in you. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, and Christoph Laputka, my wingman, my co-host, uh, and my good friend, thank you, sir. It, it, Having you, it was like having an extra guest host on here, which was kind of badass, but it was also very cool sharing the the virtual co-host chair with you. I appreciate it, man. Such a pleasure. So, <laughs> no one's doing what what you do, Dave. You have such a such a great and and I just gotta just give a huge hug to to Brian for having a thicker skin than a rhinoceros. We If anything was going through a Leviathan like this, I would be in a warm blanket <laughs> in the corner, huddling my bottle of scotch. And you are you are a hero, my friend, for for uh, for listening to us uh, um, <laughs> dive in. Go through Absolutely. Your story. So thank well, you. And 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 it takes a special breed to be to be courageous uh, to step up to the round table. And Brian, you are definitely it, man. Uh, and friends, as long as we're doling out the gratitude, thank you for tuning in. Uh, uh, without you connecting to this to this dialogue, we're just shouting and flailing in the podcast void, and nobody wants that. So if you're feeling the love, if you, if you picked up some literary gold through this discussion, feel free to pay it forward with a review on iTunes. Uh, and as always, much respect and gratitude uh, for the kind and helpful words that everyone has been delivering out there. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we do have a forum now on the brand new and oh-so sexy roundtable podcast uh website so please feel free uh, we've started some discussions out there join in on this one give brian some more literary gold the discussion can continue after we sign off uh so wow uh this has been fabulous and and the beauty of it is friends in seven days it starts all over again we bring back another fabulous guest host filled with literary gold and writerly goodness to to inspire and incite new ideas uh more courageous guest writers bring in their stories for discussion more roundtable goodness to be had uh but that's you know that's that's seven days man that's a long time to wait for more awesome literary gold christoph what what's should our listeners be doing to fill those seven days of gap before we're in their ears again oh man um scotch scotch, scotch. 
find find yourself a nice bottle of scotch and uh, start making your own stories. Everybody listening to this is an aspiring writer, and there's there's a lot of ways to get your voice heard. So uh, so drink and write in that in that order. <laughs> There you go. That's awesome. And and basically, you're a paraphrase of what uh, my, my co-host Brian Humphrey from back in the day used to say, go right. Uh, it's good advice. Take it. I will tell you, as I always do, dear friends, you find what you're looking for. So look for that top shelf blue label goodness, that, that bright sparkly package at the back of the tree. If you look for it, I promise you, you will find it. We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys, you stay cool, you stay frothy, and you stay awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.